Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 24. Phil has risen from the dead and is back for today's show. We're catching up on Phil's big update, talking turkey, and preparations for the 2017 season. From food plot updates, new gear, to training for adventure hunts. So stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I am your host, Clint Campbell, and today I am joined by none other. Some of you know him, some of you love him, some of you love to hate him, but Phil Marchek is back in the fold, folks. How are you doing, brother? I'm tired, bro, but I'm good. Feels good to be back. (laughs) (laughs) It feels good. Back in the saddle. You're tired for all the right reasons, though, man, so... Um, it's, it's been a little while. I kept kind of, you know, kind of teasing the folks at home here listening that you were coming back soon. I wasn't quite sure when, um, you had a lot going on, of course. So before we dive into any deer hunting stuff, man, just give us a little, uh, give us a little Phil Marchek update, man. What you've been, uh, what you've been up to give the folks at home a little taste. Well, it's, it's not so much the, uh, the me show as much as, uh, I got to give all the credit to my wife. She did an awesome job. But we had a little baby boy uh, on January 20th, and uh, he's just, he's awesome. He's, he's great. Um, the, the, honestly, name, the, the name is Awesomer. What's, it's, it's, well, it's yeah, name. no, I mean, okay, okay, hold on. So, I have to give a little bit of a, a preamble to the name. So, the, the first name was essentially, uh, I think from when we had our daughter and we didn't know what um if we we're gonna have a boy or girl uh so the middle name there's actually two uh one is from my daughter who bless her uh is awesome and uh, has a great imagination and then the other is from my wife uh, as a homage to uh to her late father uh but the name is hunter rocky michael Nice. Hunter yeah. Ro- Rocky Michael Marchek. Marchek, that's Dude, it. it. Like he's either gonna be like a bull rider or maybe a bank robbing bandit in, in like in Missouri during Billy the Kid times. If only we think? could turn back time, bro. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, but I know you and I have kind of, you know, we've we've talked a little bit via text and stuff like that. But, you know, of course, congratulations to you. 
to you and Thank Michelle. You. Um, Thank you. You know, you got the you got the the little gift that we sent. I think. I did. I did. It's awesome. It's nice. good. And uh, definitely enjoying it. Um, you know, it's it's crazy. We've we've been really blessed with um with gifts that that people have have given us, and um, not only that, but just you know the well wishes and everything. It's been it's been nice. You know, uh, Michelle's been off for right. a little bit, and she's not as excited to go back to work. But <laughs> I'm sure as, as I'm sure as soon as she sees you, Clint, they'll put a smile on her face. Well, of course. I mean, any that that would be the only reason to go back to work would be to to see me again because it's too shy. It's be real here. It's it's really all about me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually that's um, no. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least if you live in my house, you one would think so. If you talk to anyone else here, um, but no, man, congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, Thank you. Know, you. Thank have you, you uh, have you have you picked out a bow yet for him? That's the big question. <laughs> have we have you we know, started uh, that yet? And I haven't I haven't started that yet. Primarily because I'm actually looking into one for my daughter. Nice. There you go. So yeah, that's yeah. Uh, so, so that's I mean, she's a little bit closer to that. So yeah, she's a little bit closer to that, and um, yeah, she's getting to getting to be an age. I mean, she's not quite to the point of having something pretty major, but I think we need an upgrade from the little plastic one that she has. So right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Time to make the upgrade, Anna. She's. Uh, she's been shooting with me still she's it's it's waned a little bit i will say like her enthusiasm for it um it really this time of year with her with school and stuff like that she has so much stuff going on with with school with you know gymnastics and she's playing viola and she's playing recorder and she's taught herself how to play a piano and she started picking up the guitar and like so on the weekends whenever so does she still go to school (laughs) yeah i know right (laughs) (laughs) I know. I, I look at her. Well, I get up in the morning, and she gets up before either Megan or I. You know, and I get right. up last in the house, of course. You know, because I live right down the street from work, and I don't have to be at the office till nine. And Megan usually is up just a little after six. You know, maybe six thirty if she sleeps in a little bit. And by the time Megan gets up, Anna is already up, dressed, like at in her room, and playing piano or v- viola. At like six oh five, yeah, it's it's. I guess as long as it's muted, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, well, she's learned that you know during the morning, like Daddy needs his beauty sleep, and that uh, he shouldn't be disturbed. Otherwise, he comes out a ugly, grumpy old man. So, in all honesty, you can't get that good looking off of only a few hours of sleep. That's what I'm saying. It's like this. This doesn't happen by accident, you know. It doesn't. It's hard work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, it needs, seems like I need to do more hard work then because it's not working out for me. I got to find Yikes. the magical links or somewhere <laughs> for that. Uh, um, me on the other yeah. hand, I'm a hot mess over here with no sleep. So <laughs> right, well that's that's gonna that's gonna be your uh, that's gonna be your MOA for a little while, my friend. I think the uh, the sleep yes, deprivation. Sir. You're just you're just you know scratching the uh, the surface there as far as sleep deprivation goes. I think. Yep, you know, we had it really good. You know, Ava was on a really good schedule, and then, you know, we just you know, decided to have another kid. Yeah, well, there Thought you go. Thought it was a good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like there's some days where you're like, can we can we figure out a way to put this thing back? That would yeah. <laughs> just for maybe like a day or two, just so I can sleep a yeah. little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's been he's been good, though. We've got a really good schedule, so. Good. Yeah, knock, nice. on, knock on wood, we'll keep it going. Yeah, the schedule is uh, definitely... Uh, 
definitely key, but not to necessarily turn this into, we'll end up getting some hate emails on turning this into a, a parenting podcast. <laughs> Come on guys. Um, you know, yeah, no, which I don't know that anyone would necessarily want to take parenting advice for either from either you or I. Um, yeah, f- it would re- be qu- repeat father of the year recipient over here. <laughs> yeah, I would say the advice would be questionable at best. Um, and yeah. in some states may get you thrown in jail in, so, in some instances. Yeah. This um, is not one of those states, though, thankfully. <laughs> I know, right? We're uh, in, in, in Pennsylvania, my friend, where anything right. goes almost. Um, right. So I think today, you know, of course... Phil and I haven't had a chance to catch up in a little while uh, officially on the on the show here. So I think today, Phil, if you are down with it, uh, I think I just want to kind of do an update, man, and let folks know what we've been up to as far as, you know, turkey hunting and what we're doing to get ready for the upcoming season and any tr- kind of plans and, and, and trips and stuff that we might have and any type of food plotting kind of prep that we're doing for the uh, the upcoming season. So with uh, with with that, I think the uh, you just want to dive into a few of those topics. Yeah, buddy. Let's do it. But before we hear about our updates, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners at Whitetail Institute of North America for the Whitetail Institute Food Plot Tip of the Week. Today, John shares a few things to consider when deciding between perennial and annual forages. All right, when you're talking about annuals and perennials, uh, most folks know this, but I'll just throw it out there anyway. Annuals are are plantings that are designed to, to last uh, for part of a calendar year. It can be uh, the spring and summer or or say fall or fall and winter or fall all the way to spring. Uh, Perennials are forages that are designed to last from multiple years from a single planting. And they will do that if uh, if you're able to choose the right one. Mother Nature cooperates, of course. And you've got to remember that you've got to maintain that perennial each spring. You've got to spray it for grass, and you've got to mow it a few times, just shave the top off of it to stimulate it and help you with weed growth. Um, perennial forages are uh, an excellent option. They, they serve as the, the basis for uh, larger, most larger food plot systems. Uh, a lot of folks will put in, say, uh, anywhere from 60 to 75% of their food plots in perennials and the rest in annuals. That certainly is not a hard and fast rule. Uh, anything you do, you're going to have to tweak it. The best, the best plan is going to have to be tweaked uh, when you see how the deer react. But by doing it that way, then you spend less time uh, planting every fall, although you are doing some maintenance. And uh, it turns out to be a lot more cost effective. When you look at the, the, uh, the cost for a pound of protein uh, from the forages over a five-year period, with a perennial, and again, we're just take, making an assumption that the perennial and annual are putting out the same amount of protein. Uh, the perennial is going to be vastly less expensive per pound of protein. Perennial forages are also good if you have a, uh, a larger piece of property. They can be a great way to set things up so that you have a congregation plot that you hunt very rarely, maybe during the rut, but you want the deer to get a feeling uh, that once they make it to that plot, they're safe. And then you can identify your bedding areas, and you can take annuals, hunting hunting plots, and stagger them between the perennial and uh, and the bedding area. That's another great way to do it. Now, I've talked about perennials. Some folks just plant annuals, and they do perfectly well with that. Uh, that can be a great option if you don't have equipment to spray and mow. Uh, 
And if you're if you're not going to have the property, you don't know you're going to have it more than more than a year uh, at a time. That can be a great way to do it. Uh, it also, you know, it, it may be uh, that you don't have time to go up there and maintain a perennial for whatever reason. You can do just as well with all annuals uh, if if you get the ones you need that perform during the time you want them to perform. Uh, the most cost-effective thing to do, if you have the room, is to, uh, as I said, run uh, run a good good number of perennials, and then uh, put the annuals, uh, let them make up the rest, but put them out in an intelligent way, so that during hunting season, those fast-growing annuals are going to uh, be the places that you, you generally hunt. And that, folks, is the Whitetail Institute Tip of the Week. If you'd like to learn which annual or perennial products might be right for you, head over to whitetailinstitute.com to check out their product selector tool to determine which perennial or annual products will work best for your food plot needs. And now let's get back to the show. So with Phil's big update out of the way, everything else will kind of you know be be minor in comparison. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a wild guess since you have a a 13 pound turkey in the form of a, a brand new child in the house, you may not have gotten out for turkey season yet. Considering it just gobble, started gobble, here gobble, in PA. good sir. What's that? <laughs> I said gobble, 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 good sir. <laughs> nice. I think no, I could... that yeah, that's that's correct. I have not been out for turkey season yet. <laughs> right. So I think I can give my update for turkey season. So I think a fair place to start is to say that if I were ranking my turkey hunting skills on a scale of one to ten, I would clock in at probably like a solid six. Um, okay. Yeah, I would say my turkey hunting skills are marginal. Um, that's, it's one of those know, that's, things. That's average. That's slightly above average, I think. Yeah, you know, I can I can call, I can shoot. Um, <laughs> you know, so those, I got those two things going for me. You know, I can kind of I can figure out where the birds are at, and I get into them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, last year I hunted with a bow um, during turkey season, which was a which was a failure all the way around. The, the challenge is, is I don't get to get out a whole lot for turkey season, and I really use right. it as a means to kind of get out to do some deer scouting and, and take care of some other, you know, what I'll call deer, deer work activities that I can kind of sure. bundle into a weekend. And usually but, turkey know, while, season for, while you're out, while you're out, you might as well go hunt something. Right. And turkey season for me also is really the time that because the weather's a little better, you know, or a little nicer, a little warmer, it's a time for me that I can actually get Anna out in the woods. And, I, and I'm not really too worried about what we're going to encounter and as far as the weather is concerned, unless it's, you know, unless it's a downpour. Right. Um, you know, so I really kind of use that time to get her out in the woods and have her have a little bit of fun and just try to make sure that it's fun for her. Um, my enjoyment really is kind of secondary, you know, in some cases we'll only get out for a couple hours and then if we're at the cabin and she wants to help do stuff outside, then I just kind of make that the priority. Um, cause it's more important for me that she has, you know, enjoyment doing things in the outdoors versus necessarily just it being only hunting that she's enjoying. Sure. The outdoors. Absolutely. You yeah. know, so, um, so last year was quite a, you know, a failure, I guess, to a degree. It's like, we, I didn't get anything. Um, and then I ended up doing deer work. Now this year. You know, we, we can get into this a little bit later, or I guess we will, in, in terms of what we're doing at the farm, specifically with food plotting and stuff. But this was opening week, uh, opening weekend on Saturday, this past Saturday, um, mm-hmm. which by the time people hear this, it'll be like a, it'll be a solid week and a half ago. Um, and the plan was, initially I was going to go to Ohio that weekend to, to hunt, but the weather was really looking kind of bad for that particular Saturday in Ohio. 
Um, so we ended up going back to the farm and we actually made like a little family trip out of it. Uh, Megan actually went back and Anna went back and Anna was of course hunting with me. Um, we go back and, you know, father-in-law's there, a bunch of his buddies and stuff. And we all kind of have a good time. And Anna got up like a champ the following morning. Everything was good. We had a blind set up at the edge of the clover field. Uh, the turkeys have been in that field pretty, you know, pretty frequently. They usually always are. And I, I always get game camera pictures in that, um, in that field of some, some strutting toms during March and April, typically, uh, of course. Um, and that was no different this year. So we had, we had a setup and I kind of looked at the weather and it looked like it was going to start, you know, raining later in the afternoon. And in PA, you can only hunt uh, spring gobbler the first two weeks till noon. So right. it's not a terribly long hunt, which is perfect for taking Anna because, you know, she's not going to want to sit in the blind all day. Um, so we get up, we head out. And the other big news for her really was she got her own small 410 shotgun. Um, really? Yeah. So. All right. That was the first weekend. This was the, this past weekend was the first weekend for her with that. Um, she didn't take a gun last year only because, well, I, I didn't have one for her necessarily. And I, I, I took a bow and she hadn't really shot a whole lot prior to that. So I was really kind of, I didn't want her first experience shooting, you know, a shotgun of some degree to be a bad experience or make her gun shy. Right. Uh, and I felt like she needed to get just a little bit bigger. Um, and so I waited till this year and got her the 410. Um, so we took that. So this is the first year during turkey season that she carried, you know, and uh, we, we didn't make it out for the youth hunt. Unfortunately, we had some uh, some other things to tend to that weekend, so we didn't make it out mm-hmm. for the for that youth weekend. Um, so we head to the blind and uh, we drive into the like the the parking area right before you get to the field. It's an area I can park in. Um, we open the door and the turkeys are already gobbling, so she's <laughs> already excited. Uh, grab the guns, head to the blind. Um, as we're walking to the blind, there's a fox running through the field that was sneaking up on my decoys that I had set up. And so that was kind of cool for her to see a fox kind of running through the, the field because the clover's not too terribly grown up yet because it's still kind of early yet, of course, for it to really be popping. And sure, uh, yeah. We may, yeah, so we make it to the blind, um, kind of get all set up. And I've already got birds chirping. I've, ha- I've got one behind me. I got one to the left and one in front of me. And the one behind me was too, too far away, and he didn't really pay much attention to me. The one to the left, he was a player. But the one in front of me was the one that I thought we could get some action with. And uh, we got, you know, in the blind right before daybreak and start working the bird as soon as, you know, they hit the ground, of course. And he was coming in and you could hear him getting closer and closer and closer. And where we were kind of set up was on the one side of the field. And the field, of course, has a little crest in it. So we kind of set the birds up or the decoys up at that crest. That way, anything that kind of hit the field, once they hit a certain point, should be able to see it. Um work that work the bird for probably i don't know you know on and off for like an hour or so um and he was closing the distance i just wasn't i was trying not to be too aggressive because he was coming um you know i could tell he was getting closer and closer so i didn't want to be too aggressive and uh all of a sudden like the wind starts kicking up i'm like man is it supposed to thunderstorm and so i decided you know (laughs) as the as the wind was kicking up and i was like nah i was like it'll probably just be a, a light sprinkle we'll be fine the wind really started ripping, and I was like, "Man, I should probably check the, uh, 
I should probably check the radar real quick on my phone. And of course I look at it and it's like the orange dot is like almost right over top of where we're at. And, <laughs> and I, and I looked at the top of the blind and realized that like last year I forgot a bear had gotten into that blind. Um, <laughs> cause I left it up whenever I left and then there was a couple of bears on the property and, uh, right. yeah. So it had a, had a few bear holes in it that we were definitely going to get wet. So Anna, of course, is like, Dad, it's going to start raining. So we pack up everything and we take off running through the field and get back to the truck, which she thought was kind of funny. So that was kind of cool that she got to do that because she thought that was a, a big deal that we were trying to, you know, outrun the thunderstorm to a degree. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got back to the house and or back to the cabin and it stopped raining and she'd already kind of changed and she, you know, was reading a book and didn't really want to get back out. So I decided I was going to go back out and I went back to the field where I was working that bird and. Sure enough, I was walking through being really careful, and that was kind of like on this on the farm, you get to this one point at the bottom of that field is where you typically when we turkey hunt, like a lot of times we'll start calling from the bottom of that field because it's really kind of the center of the property. And you can hear, right. you know, basically all areas of the property. So if you're getting a response from something, you kind of know which direction it, you know, they're in. And you can kind of start heading that way to kind of close the distance on them a little bit. So that was my game plan, and I was walking kind of slowly through the field because I, I had a feeling that the bird that I was working, once the rain stopped, was going to come out into the field to try to dry off. And so I was being careful, but he was hidden behind this one tree that kind of sticks out into the field a little bit. And uh, we both saw each other at the same time, so he took off running. Um, I didn't want to chase right after him right away, you know, so I kind of I worked my way down the one point and basically took a three-and-a-half-mile hike to cut him off only because I was just kind of seeing if there were any other birds. And I did a little bit of deer scouting while I was out and right. I met up, I met up with him a little while later and, uh, had him, had him working again. Then he just, it was getting pretty close to noon and he just kind of shut down. And that was, uh, that was pretty much my Turkey hunt, man. It was, it was a lot of hiking that day. Um, but I had a, had a bird. I got to play with a little bit, but you know, I think, you know, more importantly too, at the same time, Anna had a good time and, uh, ran back home or ran back to the cabin. Of course, told Megan about the, uh, you know, I saw a Fox and there were three turkeys and dad was calling them and they were all gone. So she was, yeah. So she was, (laughs) that's cool. Yeah. So she was super excited. And I asked her what her favorite part of the, uh, of the day was. And she said all of it. So that was, uh, I I think I got her (laughs) victory. Yeah. Victory. (laughs) There it is. Touchdown. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think more, you know, what I always like to get out of it is doing some some scouting, you know, during the during turkey season, just trying to kind of looking over the property, you know, even though it's only been a couple months since we last hunted. But, man, a True. couple more turnarounds here. It's, you know, and archery season is going to be right, right back up on us. So, you know, I think we can start talking a little bit, you know, I know I like talking about it, but kind of starting to get ready for, for next hunting season. You know, some folks, it might be a little early, but this is really when we kind of start to make the – the hay. So I know you haven't had no, a I chance think, to really I think we should talk for, about it. For, uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah, it. So I think we should talk about I think it. Yeah. You haven't had a chance to get out, but that doesn't mean you haven't had an opportunity to think about the upcoming season. So the one question I have for you is, and we can, I guess we can both kind of take it, but I'd like to hear your kind of perspective. on Is there any, are there any new things, gear, toys, things like that, that you're kind of, thinking of trying for this year or things that you know that you want to get or that you've tried in the past and or have sampled in the past and want to you know utilize for this year um well i know i've talked about it uh in the past at least this past season um but i definitely am still eyeing up uh, a new bow um 
So I need to get out. I need to test shoot a couple. I have ideas on what I want, but I, I mean, obviously, you, know, you don't make a decision without without sampling. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely trying to to make a, a bow upgrade for mm-hmm. this season. What uh, are there any brands that you've kind of had your eye on that you've been eyeballing? Oh yeah, I mean, I've been definitely looking at Matthews for sure, um, and there, I can't yeah, I can't think of any. What was the what was the ba- the brand that uh that you saw at the show last um, time we, we Gearhead, talked? Gearhead, yeah, that was it. I'm yeah. curious about it because you said that it was a really smooth bow, but. It, I've, I mean, I've seen I've seen pictures of it. I've seen people shoot it. It's just so weird. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I need I want biggest, to shoot it. Yeah, that was my biggest thing to try to get over. Was I, I thought it was an interesting idea, right? And I, I was just right. I couldn't I couldn't fathom how it would feel good. You know what I mean? Just because of like the way it looked, and I was just like, you know, you shouldn't judge a book book by its cover, of course. But it's just you one of those do things all was, the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It, yeah, I do it all the time. Why, why would I stop at Bose? Uh, right. <laughs> but it's, the, uh, it just it just looked different, right? And so I, I, I just, in my mind, I, I felt like it had to feel so much different, I guess. And right. when I shot it, I mean, it was it was smooth. You know, it was just, it was, I would shoot it. You know, it's I would have a hard time giving up my Matthews only because I'm so comfortable in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, I think given the time, it's like I would absolutely love love that bow um the draw right. cycle super smooth the the back wall's awesome um you know it's you can hold at full draw for what feels like years um which is funny you bring that bow up because i've actually just started having this conversation with some guys at the archery club okay. where i i love my matthews um and I, I don't know that i could imagine shooting anything else but there's a couple bows that i've kind of i started thinking about if i were to make a change and not saying that i'm necessarily going to because this, this bow is new it's only a year old so it's not like i you know need to run out and grab a new bow mm-hmm. um but you know i have a couple buddies you know that that shoot you know prime a couple of those guys have been on in the in the recent past so uh, dan bayas and uh, uh johnny utah mulligan um both shoot primes and I did shoot them, you know, a couple of years ago, and I wasn't a big fan of them. But I started thinking, like, you know, had a birthday in the recent past, and I uh, was like, you know what, I'm not getting any younger. And the first thing these guys <laughs> that I talk, <laughs> the first thing that, that these guys at the at the archery range talk about when they start talking about, you know, shooting their bows or getting older and stuff like that, is that just their shoulders go. Um, right. You know, and my bow is pretty aggressive. I don't shoot crazy heavy poundage. I think it's like 62, 63 pound draw weight. Um, but it's just an aggressive bow, you know, and I was like, it's, it would, would it, would it save my shoulders at all if I got something that had just such an easy, an easy, you know, bow to hold at full draw for extended periods of time where I'm not stressing my shoulders as while I'm in full draw at full draw. Um, right. You know, I don't know if there's any truth to that, but in my mind, it seems like the less stress I can put on my on my joints, you know, the better. But you know, so I don't. I yeah, don't that's know. that's not a that's not a bad theory, and definitely um, for sure on the uh, not getting any younger phrase. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I mean, I I always look for speed. I always look for a fast bow that can shoot in a straight line uh, out to a decent distance. Um, but you know as well as I do with our um, 
lacking uh, draw length. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're not able to leverage or utilize the full potential of these bows. Um, mm-hmm. So to compensate, we need heavier draws to get that, that speed. Right. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's always this compromise. So, I mean, I, I definitely hear you on, on something that's a little bit more easier on the, the shoulder and something you can hold for days uh, at full draw. But at, at the same time, I have, I have reservations about compromising um, arrow speed for that. Right. Yeah. It's, I'm kind of in the same boat. It's like, I like, I like speed too. And I was just actually reading something not too long ago. In one, one of the many magazines I get, um, you know, where it's like, I know that a, a, a well-placed shot with a 45 pound draw weight will kill a whitetail just the same as my 62 to 65 pound draw weight will, right. you know, so, um, so I understand it's it's all it's all about accuracy, um, but I mean there's something also to be said for penetration too. You know what I mean? It depends on how far sure. out you're able to shoot. You know, it's like you're still um, there's still a, a, an issue of kinetic energy out to certain distances that is that is just real um, in terms of physics that you have to deal with mm-hmm. or have to you know succumb to. So, you know, I'm still in that I'm still in that boat where it's like I'm more interested in the the speed and the the knockdown power at the end of my right, shot right. with my bow um you know like you said it's like if my draw length was longer it's like yeah i would love to shoot maybe a bow that was a little less aggressive that i could get maybe the full ibo out of the bow because you know it's like i'm shooting a halon five and yep. you know i think it's ibo is 350 or something like that but it's i think when i put it through the chrono machine it's like i was still with my draw length and my poundage i was still only hitting like 280 you know, or right. 286 or something like that, or 290. I don't remember exactly what it was. So it's like, I'm, I'm still not even hitting 300, which I know it's plenty fast enough to get the job done that I need to do. Um, but you know, it's, it's the, uh, the things that, uh, us vertically challenged, uh, fellas have to deal with is, <laughs> are the short draw, draw lengths, short but, draw and basketball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was never, basketball was never in my future. I never, uh, had, I was never delusional in that regard. Right. right. Um, uh, but you know, spe- speaking speaking of equipment, um, and and kind of dovetailing off of uh, the 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 joints and getting old and everything, uh, I have I have had minor thoughts towards potentially getting a crossbow, but it almost seems like for me that's more of a toy than something that I would legitimately consider as going out on a regular basis and hunting with. Right. So, yeah, I don't have any I don't have any bad feelings necessarily toward anybody who's shooting a crossbow. I think anything that gets folks out into the woods, um, you know, the the more the merrier. Um, oh, for sure. You know, yeah. To me, the way I kind of view a crossbow is <clears throat> like I personally wouldn't use one until I had the physical limitations to to the point that I was no longer able to shoot a compound bow. Right. That would that's kind of my my criteria, um, only because I like shooting a compound bow so much. You know what I mean? It's like I just I enjoy shooting the bow. I enjoy going to the range. Um, you know, for example, my dad just recently like he hunted some archery. You know, when I was younger, he usually shot a, you know a traditional bow. 
um, mm-hmm. growing up. And then he hadn't shot in a lot of years. Um, he shot at his house, but when I say shot, he hadn't hunted in a lot of years with a bow. He had still, you know, shot pretty frequently at his house and stuff. Right. Um, and then whenever we started talking about, you know, him wanting to go out West together to do a hunt together, I said, sure. But I wasn't, I didn't really want to go do a gun hunt because I was like, if I'm going to travel and spend the time, it's like, I want to do, I want to do an archery hunt. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know, our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping, midwayusa.com. And so he Definitely. said, okay, he's like, well, I'll get a crossbow and we can go. And I was like, well, I was like, you know, my dad's still in pretty good shape. He's a strong dude. And I was like, you know, why don't you get a compound bow? I was like, and shoot that. I was like, you're still physically capable of, of doing it. And now he absolutely loves it. Um, right. You know, so... And that's kind of how I look at a, at a crossbow. To me, it's it, it extends my opportunity um, as a hunter or as an archery hunter um, sure. more so than I don't see it as a means of um, – I don't see that it's something for me necessarily until it becomes a, a necessity. Necessity, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I mean, I would, definitely, I, but, I would definitely put a new compound bow as priority. But I've always had an intrigue for a crossbow. I think just because – just to shoot it more yeah. or less for target and just to have, um, which I know sounds like semi quasi probably borderline super selfish, but, <laughs> 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 um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I would, I think I would still probably go out with a compound bow on the reg, uh, hunting, but yeah, right. just something about a crossbow, just like have it and shoot it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they're fun to shoot. My father-in-law has one and I, I take a crack at, with it, you know, anytime we're at the at camp and and we're doing some target shooting or whatever, I usually also challenge him to tell him that I can shoot at further distance more accurately. I, I tell him, "You stand at thirty yards, I'll stand at fifty yards, and I'll still beat you." So well, of course, we always have that. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. And, necess- and, and how many drinks does it take to get to that point? Um, <laughs> we won't disclose that because <laughs> because that is this not is a safe practice. Show that, that is not safe practice, and we promote safe safe target shooting standards on this show first uh, yeah i was just <laughs> speaking theoretically really yeah of course theoretically <laughs> yeah. um so theoretically the, the the new gear that i'm considering uh trying out to uh to to, to move along from dangerous territory um right. so it's for me there's definitely you know a host of things that i'm going to be kind of checking out this year um for a couple of reasons. One, cause I just, I'm always intrigued by, by new things, um, new opportunities. Uh, but two, you know, I have the, the, the elk hunt that's coming up. And so there was right. a, a necessity, um, you know, or it was necessary for me to, to pick up a few things, um, that I didn't already have in my, my arsenal. Um, you know, one of them being, you know, and this was actually one of the, like one of the biggest ones, um, was getting the right gear, for me to head out west, um, you know, midwestern and east coast predominantly, um, whitetail hunter. So my gear was my gear. When I say my gear, it's you know like my my camo and like my outerwear and stuff was all pretty much, you know, geared toward the type of hunting that I you know the type of terrain that I live around. And of course, we know heading to Montana is a different a different animal. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of required me to kind of rethink the gear that I had, and quite frankly, the gear that I had been using had was was quite old and could use an, use an upgrade as as it were. Um, so I started kind of looking around at some different clothing options, um, and you know looked at a few different uh, manufacturers. Um, you know, there's a lot of great manufacturers out there now that are doing, you know, a lot of interesting things where they've taken gear from, you know, or our hunting clothes, as we used to call them to turning them into really like to real gear, like performance wear, um, kind right. of, you know, bridging that gap between athletic performance wear and things that's going to take the, the abuse and the grind that you're going to have in the, you know, in the back country, so to speak. Um, and I ultimately ended up, you know, I sampled a, a piece or two last year of, of Sitka's, uh, uh, line of gear mm-hmm. um, and just to kind of try it out because you know it's like I'll be the first to admit it's 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 salty you know as far as the price price goes um, right. but I'm a big advocate though or a big kind of believer in you know especially when it comes to things that are going that potentially make or break an experience like you get what you pay for um, oh, absolutely. and so you know something that may or you know, be the difference between having a, a good two weeks in Montana and a bad two weeks of Montana, um, you know, price point, you know, wasn't necessarily my, the biggest deciding factor for me at, at that moment. If it was just like for hunting whitetail, it's like I might reconsider possibly. Um, right. but so I tried out a couple pieces of Sitka gear last year. It worked really well. Um, and this year I actually met them at the outdoor show and, uh, and they were super kind and gave me um, some incentive, I guess you could say. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so I ended up kind of going forward and getting, you know, purchasing the new sub Alpine gear that they have coming out. Um, they were super helpful at the booth when I met them at the show. They 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 kind of went through the catalog with me and helped me kind of mix and match what I could use from sub Alpine for right. you know, not only my elk hunts but also when I come back to PA, you know, and I'm hunting early season um, that could kind of be used for both of those types of hunting. And then also what pieces to kind of pair what from the sub Alpine piece from like under arm or under undergarments and insulation layers with the whitetail, you know, fanatic stuff that I was interested in getting for my Midwest and East coast whitetail hunting. Um, so I'm super stoked to get that stuff. I actually, you know, it's, it should all be on my doorstep here in the, like the next two weeks, I imagine. So I'm pretty pumped to get that. So that was Ooh, kind of like, yeah. All right. So it'd be like, it'll be like Christmas. I'm going to have a Sitka Christmas in May. It seems like, um, I was going to so, say July, July is halfway there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it'll be my, my half year Christmas. Um, All right. so I'm pretty pumped, pretty pumped for that. And of course want to give, you know, a shout out to the, the folks at Sitka for, for doing a guy, a solid, um, you know, it's a good company. They back the folks that, that they're, that they're affiliated with. And in my opinion, they kind of back the right kind of folks. It's not a lot of the hunting celebrity types. Um, it's a lot of, you know, grinders that are out there doing the right thing and they're, um, you know, interested in pushing forward the conservation agenda and, you know, ethical hunting and stuff like that. So in my opinion, it's like, I'm happy to support and, um, you know, I guess be part of the tribe, so to speak, um, you know, to, to help push their message along and, and, uh, and, and represent, I guess, to a degree. Um, sure. so we'll be getting that here in the next few weeks and pretty, pretty pumped about that. Um, the other piece that I picked up was the Onyx maps app. Um, I have a GPS, uh, yes. a Garmin GPS that I'm taking. Yeah. So, you know, I've never been out there before. I don't really know my way around. Um, you know, going with a friend who's familiar with the area, of course, you know, intimately familiar with the areas we're going to be hunting, but you know, of course we'll be broken up You know, we'll, we'll hunt in groups. Some we will split up some, there's going to be four of us total going. Um, but definitely needed to find a way to kind of way find my way around the mountain and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. and I have a GPS, a, a small Garmin that I actually have 
sitting here because it's been sitting out since deer season, I think. Um, it's just the, the, the Trex 10. It's not anything super fancy. It's enough to, to get the job done. I used it this past whitetail season while I was in Ohio, and it managed to, the batteries managed to die the first day I was there and get me lost. But other than that, it performed pretty well. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought that, you know, I'm just more comfortable reading maps on my, on my phone. Um, so I wanted to get something that I was just a little bit more familiar with. Um, right. That was, took a little bit less of a learning curve. I'll be taking the GPS, of course, as a backup. But the cool thing about the Onyx map stuff is, is even when you don't have cell service, because we're going to have zero cell service where we're at, it still works. You can save the maps that you know the areas you're going to know you're, you're going to be in. And you can kind of mark your, your waypoints on that. And mm-hmm. you can save it as a static image. I guess this is lay terms and how it works. Um, but your little like your little beacon or your what you know what people would recognize as their blue dot on like their Google Maps or on their iPhone map still stays alive with the GPS of your phone and will track you as you move even though the app is not currently active and connected to a cell service. Right. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, so you're able to still kind of use its full functionality. The bonus to that is is that it doesn't eat up your battery either. Um you know cuz that's the other kind of, you know, sketchy part is how do you manage to keep battery on you know power on this while you're out all day and stuff uh but it doesn't use nearly as much battery whenever it's in that in that mode um bring tons so of I've power banks take, yeah yeah i know right well fortunately we'll we have we do have a big power bank um that i think shimers bring in i think eagleson has one so we should be pretty well hooked up for for battery power Nice. Uh, and where we'll have our base camp, I think we can actually pull the truck up near it. Um, so the truck will at least be close by that we can use that if we had to, to, to do any charging. But so that's one of the other pieces of gear that I was picking up. Um, the only other large piece, I mean, there's a, of course a lot of odds and ends and stuff that I need to need to get to, to kind of round it out. But the other piece that I think is critical that I, what I would call like my bigger ticket items for you know, this year that I'll be trying out is a new mm-hmm. pair of boots for the Western hunt specifically. Um, what are we looking at? I've always, well, so of course I can't use my, my rubber, you know, swamp jumpers that I use for, uh, right. for, for whitetail around here. Cause you know, for whitetail, it's like, I, I'm a, I'm a muck boot guy for the most part. Um, yep. I just, I like the way they fit. Um, you know, I don't ever have to worry about, you know, uh, it being, them being water resistant, um, they're warm. They kind of do everything I need them need them to do. They've, they've taken a beating uh, over the past couple of years, and they've withstood. So I'm happy about that. You know, for me, we're going in early season, so I think our trip's from September 9th to the 22nd. Um, so we're in that range where you're going to get like kind of all kinds of weather, right? So I was talking to to Shimer and Eagleson, and uh, you know, the first day last year that they hunted because they hunt usually the same time frame every year out there. And right. the first morning it was in like the high twenties with snow when they woke up. But then, you know, a handful of days later they were hunting in 70 degree weather in the afternoon. So it's like, you have to kind of manage that full, you know, uh, range of weather you're going to encounter. I, you know, I'm in, I'm interested in keeping my feet light because the, the amount of hiking that we're going to do. Uh, and you know, it's a, it's a moving hunt. So it's not going to be a lot of time standing still. So I opted to go for more of a hiking boot than a hunting boot without insulation. Okay or without insulation, um, just because moving should keep my feet warm for the most part. So I ended up getting a pair of Solomon hiking boots, um, you know, the six inch, uh, height, uh, boots to give me a little bit of ankle support. They're pretty stiff. Um, nice. so there's no issue they, with, with ankle support. Pretty light? There. Yeah, they are really light. You know, it's, I've done a lot of hiking in them so far. It's, you know, I've, 
you know, I put probably, uh, when I say a lot of hiking, I mean a, a fair amount of hiking for the amount that I'm able to get out. So I've probably put like, mm, probably 40 miles on those boots so far. Um, just kind of, and they broke in really fast. Um, they're waterproof, of course, you know, they're, they've, they're, they've got a gore membrane. Um, so I'm, I should be safe in terms of waterproof. Um, and just so far I've had really good luck with them. They've been really comfortable. I've been happy with them. The amount that I've got to hike and my feet don't, they don't hurt. They don't, my feet haven't blistered or anything like that. So a pretty smooth, uh, a pretty smooth transition into those hiking boots to the point to where it's like, I'm trying to figure out other ways and other reasons to wear them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. For sure. Yeah. You know, to the, so I wore them to the office the one week just because I felt like I should wear some hunting boots to the office to work the one day. Did you get any aggressive looks? <laughs> um, not going to lie. People were curious as to why I was wearing those boots. So for those that, listening that don't know, it's like I work in an office environment in the marketing and advertising realm to where you're more likely to see like the the hipster brown shoes um, than you are a pair of uh, legitimate hiking or hunting boots. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person that's ever wore a piece of camouflage into the office in, in the entire existence of the place. Um, I think I could probably vouch for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's a pretty safe assumption. Actually the, uh, the, one of the partners that owns the joint, it was a, he's former military. So he may have worn camouflage. I'm actually, I think I have seen him, seen him in a pair of camouflage shorts in the office before. So nice. So there's that. So I have, so I have one means business. Right when he, when he wears the the, the military uh, shorts yeah. in, you know, it's, you're hoping you don't have a review that day because it's not going to go well. No, not um, at all. So that's the gear, man. That we're gonna, I think that we're gonna use. So it sounds like you're looking at some bows, and I'm I'm picking up some some gadgets to for my western hunt. So yeah, man. I mean, I definitely uh, yeah, I would love to. I guess, you know, upgrade some of the garments, but what I have right now definitely more than suffices for at least what I'll be doing this year. Um, you know, if I was going out west with you, I would probably have to look into a couple of things, but um, just, I'm not in that position. So, um, you know, till I, till I get out there, you know, we're, we're good with what we got. Yeah, man. It's like hunting sweatpants if you got to. You know what I mean? Sweat. <laughs> As long as you're out there, man, it's all that matters. Yeah, but seriously, those fleece line johns, they're they're legit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's funny, man, because I always have to make sure I always go with warmer clothing than most people because I I'm always cold when I hunt. Like it's just one of those things and it's just yep. I, I don't know how to get a, I don't know how to get around it. I mean part of it is, is I've never had I've never gone out and and got like really good hunting gear like clothing. I've always just kind of piecemealed stuff together and hoped that it worked <laughs> essentially <laughs> right some days it did <laughs> some days it didn't um you know but you know so i'm, I'm really excited actually to get the uh the sitka shipment because i've never had good gear that should that should work you know so we'll uh you know hopefully that'll maybe solve my my cold issue and i think more than yeah. anything especially for hunting out there you know it's it's more about the layering aspect of it these pieces are made to kind of work together and in combination um, and I've never had that before, so it's always like it was either too much or too little. There was never that ability to kind of get the right amount on because right. the clothes weren't necessarily made to layer together. So um, I think that's the big distinction between some of these companies, you know, is or at least the new gear companies, is that they're really becoming smarter about what the hunter actually needs and what they're going to encounter and how they need to kind of plan their 
apparel for that whenever they're hitting the woods because they don't have the room to take everything and they need to have like just a handful of pieces at work across the broad spectrum of you know inclement weather that they might encounter so sure absolutely and it's something else i've never i've never been good at layering um i mean especially especially in uh like early or or like let's say mid-season where it'll get warm in the afternoon but it's still a little brisk in the morning if I'm yeah. out all day, I'll end up sweating like none other in the afternoon because I I didn't layer. I dress for the morning. Yeah, you yeah. It, it's always the, the the balance, right? It's like either you almost have to pick like, do you want to be cold in the morning or hot in the afternoon? Right. Like that's yeah. You know, and so you know, I, I'm hoping with getting some gear that's actually made to layer that I can solve solve some of that, but. Moving, you know, I, uh, the one thing I want to talk about a little bit is also as we're talking about hunting or prepping for hunting season, you know, we've covered the gear of how we're going to prep for some of the gear changes that we want to make. But before we jump out of gear talk, let's hear a quick word about our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. As a hunter, part of our love is stewarding our land and the deer herd. Summer velvet card pulls always leave us feeling hopeful for the upcoming season. Exodus customer Chris Applestat shares one of his favorite parts of using his Exodus trail cameras, enjoying the excitement and the hopes and dreams of an upcoming season. So I'd say the, the Exodus story that sticks out the most to me was the fact that this was my first year putting cameras out in the spring. I'd only ever done it in season before. And uh, I really put in a lot of extra time working on some lanes and some trails where I, I knew there were deer, but I was trying to help usher them in the right direction close to my stand and uh, getting the opportunity to watch over the course of the spring and summer, the uh, little nubs turn into antlers and the velvet get bigger and bigger was really, really cool. It was an exciting process. And, you know, just every time I'd pull the camera, I would get to compare and see how much bigger it got and look at the the thickness of the bases and say, man, this guy's going to be awesome and kind of learning about how to determine the age of a deer and the maturity level. But I'd say that was my, that was my most exciting part about using the Exodus camera was getting to watch, watch that development happen for the first time. Um, and something I'm going to continue to do, you know, moving forward as a hunter. And that folks is an Exodus experience. If you'd like to learn more about Exodus trail cameras or pre-order their new Exodus lift Two camera, visit them at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Remember to use the promo code truth for a 10% discount at checkout. And now on with the show. You know, the big piece is of course, anything you're going to do in terms of habitat management and, and making any updates to, to the, to the habitat. So for sure, you know, I think, you know, I, I wrote a, a little article here, um, week or two ago it's on the you know truth from stand.com where i kind of talked about what my food plot strategies are uh, for this up, upcoming year and i won't dive into a bunch of detail but you know for me you know i think folks have heard me talk a little bit about the plots that we have but you know it's 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 changing a little bit because we have the farmer who leases our ground who's taking all the corn out and he's putting all alfalfa in so our green up and summer forage needs are really kind of covered which was what our clover food plot was really doing so now we're going to have probably something to the tune of like 20 acres of alfalfa on the farm wow um yeah so really kind of made me have to stop and think like okay we're going to have tons of stuff during the spring and summer um but we're really at a disadvantage when it comes to like the hunting season number one you know when october hits and then definitely as you hit late season in winter you know for deer for sustenance essentially to get them through some of those tough months so 
the goal for us really is, I think this year is we're using, um, oh, what is it called? It's a uh, Whitetail Institute product, and now I forget forget what it's called. Isn't that terrible that I can't remember what it's called? That's that's a sign of having another birthday in old age. Anyway, it, <laughs> I was gonna say or or having another kid. So yeah, right. Well, I haven't had that yet, so I don't have that excuse quite yet. Right. Um, right. <laughs> oh, pure attraction. Sorry, pure attraction mm. is what it is. So it has a, it has a variety of 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 forage in it, and the goal really is is to kind of take the food plot, uh, the clover plot that's roughly five acres, and I want to mow and till strips in it. Um, vertically that way because the deer typically move horizontally across it yeah so if I till strips in it you know vertically and plant the pure attraction in those strips as deer cross the field they should encounter a food variety during every time of or every season that works for that time of year Um, right I think think we talked about that before we talked about how how it's kind of this progression yeah so there's never there's never uh, like a dearth of food there's right. always something that's kind of in season right so that's the plan for that and then the two acres that we have that last year we put in power plant which was you know a combination of soybeans peas uh um there was sunflower uh, sun hemp i think is what it's called in it um you know all kind of like a, a menagerie of things that really were really there for summer forage for the most part that we're going right. to take and actually put the entire two acres of that in pure attraction. Then we'll probably overseed some tubers in it too, uh, just to kind of give it a little bit more, a little bit more oomph for the uh, the late season. And then I know we have a plot at your place too. Yep. And then I, I know I have one new property that I have to kind of talk about with my dad's property. But your your place, man, do you have any ideas where you want to put a plot? Because I know we talked about wanting to use bow stand at your place because we're going to put a plot in. If I'm not mistaken, that we really just want to be able to hang a set over or hunt over or maybe two small plots to kind of slow them down on their way through. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, I think there's, um, there is opportunity to, to put, um, some small plots, albeit it's, it's limited. Um, I think the one was, uh, definitely, uh, by the, uh, the pine trees that kind of that border, um, close to, to where my parents' house is right there where that one stand is, I think, uh, that would be a good opportunity. There's already a lot of traffic there. Mm -hmm. Um, but they even, they still forage in that area as well. Um, so to keep, to be able to keep them there a little bit longer, uh, and potentially get a couple more numbers, Mm -hmm. uh, I think would be, would be a good opportunity. And then, um, I, if you recall walking back into the field, uh, prior to getting back to where you sat when, uh, when you came over, um, there was a bit of a, a clearing, uh, an opening, um, before you uh, before you head back, I think right there could be a win as well, um, because that's kind of the centralized location, um, and I would I would say kind of the hub of where and how the deer filter through that field. They typically, um, if if they're not coming through my parents' yard, uh, they're going through that back area to get between uh, the the fields across the street and uh, the the woods and the hillside further up. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking those exact same spots. The nice thing is too, is there's already, you know, I know when we kind of were walking around during late season last year, there's already a few really good trees in those locations to hang sets in. Um, yeah. Which is totally. what really is what, you know, which is what really appealed to me. 
um, you know, there was kind of a nice setup. Not only did it kind of work out well, you know, there was a place that we could easily kind of get a food plot in, um, but it was also, um, you know, had a, had an air, had a tree in it that was kind of perfect, you know, ready made for a, for a, a nice ambush, ambush set. I think right. what's interesting is that, you know, a lot of folks out there think that, you know, when you're doing food plots that you have to have all this acreage to, to do it and do it effectively. And I think what's cool is, is that, you know, with your folks, with your folks property, you know, you and I are kind of going in and we're going to do some stuff and really you're kind of working with small parcels, you know, a small parcel, you know what I mean? And it's oh, yeah. just, you know, yep. there's things that you can do. Um, you know, if you place things in the right places and understand how the deer move through your small parcel and what you want to gain out of it. Cause I mean, you and I are both looking at it when we talked, it's like, we're not looking for them to stand there and chow down. We're really looking just to slow them down yep. and make them stop because you're already getting the movement through. It's just, do you, can you get them to pause and get them, get their mind off of looking necessarily for danger and more right. like, Oh, I have good forage here. I'm going to, I'm going to eat now as I pass through here versus kind of being on, on alert as they're moving through. Um, can you just kind of split their, their, their brain work there for just a split second to give you an opportunity to draw or just slow them down for a second before they get behind some brush. It's like, that's really what the name of the game is for, for those plots. And I think, folks out there listening that don't have a lot of acreage, you know, it's like, don't worry about it. Like think about how you want to use it. Um, and then just place, place it in the right place to kind of fit that, fit that need. And then just use the right, the right forage. It's like, you know, we're not going to go in and put in a bunch of clover and spend a bunch of money. We're going to put some stuff in that takes, you know, I mean, you and I are going to walk in there with like rakes and hand tools and hand sprayers and, and put that and put those two plots in, um, you know, take a couple hours for us to get it done, but it's, you know, I think it'll pay dividends in the end. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm actually pretty pretty excited about it. I mean, you know, all things considered, the throughout that entire field, uh, in almost every trail that they take, they're foraging in some way, shape, or form. They're always grazing and walking for the most part. Uh, during the rut, it's a little different. Um, you know, the the big bucks will will just kind of like they'll come through. They'll they'll bang around. They'll they'll scrape up the dirt and they'll go on their typical trails. Uh, but during um, like late season uh, and even early season, they're just they're going through and grazing, and it's a continuous graze. So if you if you if we get those plots in and give them a big a bit of a larger area to kind of come to and funnel into and just kind of stop for a second. That's going to be great. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, I really like the one that's over by the pine trees. Like, I see that as, like, a nice killing opportunity just because the way that little area kind of bends around some brush where it's not a it's not a circle, it's not a square. It's almost like a kidney bean shape, which is really right. kind of cool because, yep. you know, you can – as, you know, if you're playing the, the morning movement, which is coming from up above that stand down, down toward where I was sitting last year – Um, you know, if you're sitting on the other end of that kidney bean shape, it's like, by the time they get, by the time they kind of round that piece of brush and get to you, you've seen them coming before they've ever had a chance to see you. Um, Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it works out, you know, I think the, the way it's shaped and the way we can place the stand and stuff like that. So I'm really excited to put it in. It's actually probably one of the more, you know, one of the plots I'm most excited to put in this year. Cause I think it's going to, I think it's going to probably prove out to be, have the best impact on the in any of the properties that we'll hunt this year. Um, for sure, for sure. The other piece but that I have... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, but I mean, enough about that piece. I want to hear about your dad's uh, property. Yeah, so 
so, you know, there, there's two new properties really that I'm going to probably be putting food plots on. One I've talked about a little bit in previous podcasts, which is there's, you know, my father-in-law who has the farm, of course, you know, behind their house. Um, you know, I just grew up in an area where, you know, it was all farmers and loggers growing up and everybody's family owned and had property. It was just, you know, it wasn't everyone just kind of had it because that's how they made their living for the most part. And the story right. is no different here. That's how the farm kind of came about. And the the land behind their house, they have 50 acres behind the house there. And like my, uh, my wife's uh, grandfather used to own a logging company or, you know, part own a logging company for a bunch of years. And so he owned and timbered a bunch of the land behind the house and he still has, or so he has 50 acres back there. That is now my father-in-law and my mother-in-law's property. Um, there's two homes on it regardless. There's, you know, a bunch of land back behind there. Um, I've not really hunted it much. I hunted it once last year, um, and saw a shooter eight and my father-in-law hunted it just, I think three days last year. And he saw, you know, what he would consider a wall hanger. And he's, he's, he's killed some nice deer in his, in his day. Um, you know, so he, there, there's a nice Pennsylvania wall hanger that's living back there somewhere. I've identified a couple buck beds. Um, and I found a really good spot to kind of put in a, a food plot and it would kind of function the same way, even though it's, you know, a little bit larger acreage, it would function the same way as what we're going to do at your parents. It's like, I, I know I, I'm noticing how the deer are already moving on the property. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I can kind of, I can actually watch it from their, from their, uh, sitting room window while I'm having coffee in the morning when we're visiting. Um, and so I'm really just going to put a plot in, in that area to kind of slow them down and it'll be really an early season ambush spot that is in like an old log yard. that's all overgrown. Um, and you know, that's really where I'll hunt during early season and maybe during late season, the rut, the action's really up on the ridge behind the house. So that really won't change much, but the early season, uh, ambush spot will be over probably a bow stand, uh, food plot. And, you know, same thing we're going to use at your parents' place and in a, in a small area, right, probably, right. probably to the tune of like a quarter acre, maybe a half acre at, at most. Um, but then my dad also had been wanting, he lives in the Carolinas and he's been wanting to pick up a piece of property here in Pennsylvania to hunt. Um, just so you'd have always have a place to go. He does come up and hunt public land and stuff like that, but he also, his company is based in Pennsylvania. So he travels up here pretty frequently. So he wanted a place with a cabin and stuff and wanted a place where he could kind of come visit and me and my sister could go there and spend some time with them and them not have to necessarily always get a hotel every time they come up to visit. So he picked up a piece of property that my uncle, my uncle owned. Um, my uncle decided he wanted to sell it and it's, uh, 53, 56 acres, I believe. Um, it's in a good area where in Pennsylvania, it starts to get more toward the Western part of the state where big, bigger deer are more frequently killed on that side of the Mm -hmm. state. Um, my uncle actually missed a really, you know, what he said was the biggest deer he had ever seen. Um, you know, so I'm not sure that's again, Pennsylvania standards here. It's not like we're talking an Iowa Booner by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) However, um, you know, again, you know, uncle's an older gentleman who's hunted a, you know, a, a long time and has seen and killed many deer. So if he's saying it's one of the bigger deer that he's ever laid eyes on, on the hoof, then I'd imagine it's, you know, it's, it's something I would probably be interested in chasing <laughs> at, at minimum. Right. Right. Um, it's, it's interesting. Dad's dad's property. It's got, it's got a handful of areas where you could, could put food plots. And this mm-hmm. year I'm not going to go too wild. I scouted it. I found some really good rub lines. Um, there was some natural water, water springs on it. That's that spring from beneath the ground. Um, so there's some, there's some several really nice natural watering holes. Um, there's a, uh, there's a fence line, which I always like, you know, anything that gives you edge is always really good. 
um, right. to hunt deer like to skirt edges and there's fence lines. Someone put page wire fence almost throughout the entire property whenever the property line was different. So there's just these pieces of page wire fence that are still up in different places. Um, hmm. And one of them kind of separates this backfield from my of my dad's property to the adjacent farmer the farmer's field. The interesting thing about all the farmer's fields around this property is every one of them is in the CR, the CREP program, which is conservation. I forget exactly what the acronym stands for, but I think it'd be something it's, it's a, it's like, I think it's a watershed conservation program where they want you to not put fertilizer and things into the soil because they don't want it to run off into a water, into a, a water source. And also they want to avoid, you know, uh, soil erosion and stuff like that in that area. So they, right. You know, the state will pay farmers X amount of dollars per acre for them to not plant crops in it. And so they leave it and they come in and plant it in some natural grasses and stuff like that. Um, And that's what is basically surrounding us. So if we put any food plots in, for the most part, we'll be one of the only games in town, um, you know, within a few miles at least, uh, which which is good. Um, But I don't know enough about the property really at the moment to put in large scale food plots. So this year I'm really going to kind of take a, a smaller approach and just put some late season, uh, uh, pure attraction in. Cause I want to kind of give okay. it a, give it a variety and I really want to use it to hunt over this year. So where one of those fence rows, um, are located, it kind of then, it kind of then kind of runs into the timber and, at that kind of like pinch point, and it's also oddly enough is where the fence has also been kind of beaten down where deer are crossing. So it's kind of a natural funnel there. Um, I'm going to kind of put an odd shaped food plot in there that kind of snakes along the the timber line. Um, that way I can use any of those trees along that timber line to try to get a shot of anything coming from behind because there's some uh, there's an area that had been uh, had been burnt behind me uh, from that stand location so it's pretty thick and nasty from a fire from you know whatever it would have been probably 10 years ago or so Um, and then the natural pinch point or the natural funnel that the 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 fence is making there with the with the the adjacent field and the and the timber line as well so that's probably where i'm going to put it there's there's a bunch of brush and like pines and just some good cover um there's an area in the one corner of the property that had clearly been completely clear cut and it's just like thick as hair on a dog um and then <laughs> there's an area also in the back part of the property you can tell people were doing some some property management because there's a bunch of uh, old hinge cutting hinge cutting for bedding in the one back area of the property so i feel like if i put food on one side they're naturally going to be bedding in the one area where like the the thick stuff is and where it's all being kind of hinge cut and, and where I want to put the food is on the other side of the property. So my goal is really to try to get them to move, have to move across the property because it's really the only what I'll call highly attractive food source that will be in the area and hoping to right. force them to move, um, you know, a distance to get to, to get there and, and utilize the property instead of kind of staying put. So that's the plan for for dad's property. Um, you know, I'll definitely have to get you da- get you down there. It'll uh we can have oh, have some sure. Absolutely. Yeah, have, have some fun down there. I I, I think it's going to hunt well in the sun, or in the early season, um, because of the water. Uh, I'm at least anticipating that. Um, I think it'll hunt well for the rut too. Um, late season, I think would be a crapshoot, um, a, a little bit of a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really kind of interested to see what happens there during during early season. I, I don't know. I just have a, a feeling from just like the sign that I was seeing and stuff like that, that, um, that it could be a really, really good early season, early season spot. At least that's what I'm hoping for. So we'll, we'll hang some, we'll hang some game cameras and we'll, uh, 
see what breaks loose here over the course of the uh, the summer and, and what I get on camera, and uh, see if I have anything down there to down there to chase. Yeah, man, that's, absolutely. That's the uh, that's the game plan. So I got, as you can tell, man, it's like I have properties to hunt and only so many days of vacation to hunt them. <laughs> <laughs> so touche, sir. Well, yeah, I mean, so the silver lining is, um, I mean, yeah, you, you have a lot of properties. Uh, a, a, the majority of them uh, are good distance away. Uh, but as, as previously mentioned, you're certainly more than welcome, uh, to my parents anytime you want to get out. Uh, and I I don't know, you probably want want me to go and I, I do want to go as well. Uh, (laughs) uh, but, but I mean it, it, on the off chance that, you know, you're, you're, you're jonesing to get out and, uh, I'm not able to, um, you know, I, I took you back there and showed you around you're more than welcome. So, uh. Mikasa Sukasa? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I won't have a run in with your dad like I did the last time coming out of the bathroom at, oh, zero, classic. at zero dark thirty. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> but so with that, you know, it's like there's also some public land that I plan to hunt too that I scouted here in the off season, which, you know, I know we talked about on the podcast at one point. So I'm still mm-hmm. I still have high hopes for that. So my goal is really this year is like I've done my due diligence of trying to find different places to go hunt. Unfortunately, they're all still a drive away with the exception of your your uh, parents' property. I still well, need well, to try French to go Creek knock. is out there too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. that's a, that's a place that I you know have spent some time in, and I definitely want to get back and spend some more time there this uh, this season. Um, there is a watershed that's nearby that's almost like uh, hunt, hunting suburbia that I've actually been in email contact with those folks that are that it, that's actually you know five minutes from my house. Um, right. that has some nice deer on it because it's you know in town, um, and they they allow only so many hunters a year permitted hunters a year to hunt that property or those yep. properties. Um, so I've been emailing with them and, uh, I'm supposed to get in touch with them here toward the end of summer and see if they can pencil me in for one of those permits, which would be, which would be awesome. Cause I could literally hunt almost out my back door, which would be great. That's but awesome. Speaking. Yeah. So, but speaking of out of state hunts and states we're planning to hunt, you know, there's uh this is the time of year, you know, beyond the, the Montana hunt, um, you know, there's some preparation to be done to kind of plan for any out out of state voyages that you're making. And this is kind of the time of year to do it. So Phil, what are your plans? Do you, let me ask it this way with, with the new one, right. With right. the, with the little, is there any chance you think you might be doing an out of state hunt this year? Or do you think you might have to play it closer to home this year? Um, to be safe, I'm probably going to have to play it closer to home. Um, although, uh, I do, I do intend to put in for the, uh, North Central PA elk drawing. Nice. Um, so, you know, you go to Montana. Awesome. I go to Central PA. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, um, you know, I, there's, there's no guarantee with that as well either, but, um, right. it, it, it does also count towards a, a preference point as well. Um, so I'm definitely going to put into that. I don't, I don't have any big plans for anything out of state unless something miraculously comes up. Um, but what you were talking about, um, the watershed and getting a permit there, I've also kind of been thinking about, um, some of the other parks around here that, um, that end up having, uh, lottery hunts, Mm -hmm. um, I know uh, Tyler Park up near uh, Newtown. 
they they have a lottery hunt, but I think it's shotgun only. I have to double check that. But right. there's um, uh, Nishamni Park has a permit hunt, and it's archery. Hmm. Um, so uh, I have a guy that I was talking to who did it last year, um, and I'm gonna reach back out again to see when um, when that opens up because I know it's gonna be after uh, PA licensing for this year opens up. Uh, but I'm not sure exactly when, because um, you basically have to go to the park office and and apply for a permit on the spot. Right. Um, and it's kind of you know it's first come first serve. I can't remember if you need to actually take a course or not. Um, regardless, uh, it's super close, um, which would be awesome. That means I don't have to get up in the middle of the night just to you know drive to my parents to go hunting. But um, right. yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much. I think it's pretty much my agenda for this season, you know, aside from getting out and doing some public land as well as, um, you know, going up to my parents. So. Right. Yeah, I think the moral of the story there kind of is, is that, you know, to, to have new experiences, you don't necessarily always need to go to a new state. You know, there's always, that's the beauty of public land and, and public access is that you can go to places, you know, within your hometown that you may have never hunted before and have a, have a different experience. You know, a lot of times folks overlook those, um, especially those permitted areas where you have to, you know, a lot of times all, all it takes is just asking for access and you get it. Um, right. you know, the watershed thing for me, it was just a guy turned me onto that last year. It was too late for me to get in last year. Um, you know, so I kind of started early this year, hoping that I can get in. It's not, it's a place I've never hunted before. It'd be really cool, really cool to do it. Um, you know, you were talking about taking a test. A lot of times those places, at least the watershed, I don't have to, I wouldn't have to take a test per se. I would have to do, I would have to do a shooting proficiency test where they would want to see, basically see me shoot at different distances, um, right. to know that I'm not going to like wing an arrow at something and it's going to end up on someone's front porch, you know, because of where, <laughs> because of where I'd be hunting. It's like, you know, that's, that's a real possibility, you know, well, here goes nothing. <laughs> yeah. So, but for me, you know, it's, I'm of course going to be headed back to the Buckeye state. Um, I have an affinity for that place. It treated me well last year. So I'm going to go back, um, which, you know, I think that's probably going to be a yearly trip for me for the most part, unless something, you know, happens where I, you know, you know, whether I draw, you know, the, well, the year I, I finally draw an Iowa tag, I of course probably won't go to Ohio. Well, that yeah, year. there's that. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, you know, so I'm kind of preparing to do that. I'm headed to Ohio this weekend to do a turkey hunt and going to do some deer scouting. So it's kind of a combo. I'll probably take and hang a few cameras. I'm really headed to, uh, the area that I hunted last year and just really going to, you know, there's a lot more to the area that I hunted than just the place that I was, had my stand set up in the, the areas right. that I, you know, w- was hunting. Um, so I'm really kind of going back there with the idea of starting to assess the, the, the parcel of land at large versus the, the small kind of like what I'll call the micro area that I was focusing on hunting because I had, you know, limited time last year to, to scout. And, um, so now it's like, I'm not going to focus so much on that area cause I know, know that particular area. So I'm going to basically take, you know, a look at the other, however many, you know, hundreds of acres are in that, in that one block that I was on and try to get to know that block more intimately so I can kind of figure out, right. you know, I want to, I want to know why I was seeing what I was seeing is basically what it comes down to. It's like, I saw a lot of activity and I saw a lot of deer movement. I want to start to now try to figure out why I was seeing it and two, where were they coming from and, and where were they going? Um, right. Yeah. I mean, you're just kind of piecing together the larger puzzle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And once that, once you do that, if you're able to do that, you're going to expand 
um, your effective range of where you can hunt in that area. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, sure, you had success in that one area, but as soon as you, as soon as you start putting the pieces together and figure out why they're doing that, where they're coming from, uh, what their what their habits are, then you can you can kind of expand out and feel almost as comfortable in a new place as you were, you know, where you had good success last year. Yeah. And the added, the added bonus is, is we can, you know, Tate's going with me. So it's a, it's a, it's a me and Tate trip. Um, yep. and, uh, you know, so we're going to, you know, kind of lump that in with a little bit of turkey hunting at the same time and, uh, do some scouting and hang a few, hang a few cameras. So it should be a good trip. And then, you know, the, the other trip that of course I'm taking that I'm sure people are sick of hearing about is just, is the Montana trip. There and, it is. Yeah, and that of course is taking a lot more um, preparation. You know, it's you know, for example, it's you know, I I've been shooting a lot, and I actually just got my bow tuned up. Um, I changed out my D loop, and you know, when mm-hmm. I did that, it kind of it re it moves some things around on me a little bit. I'm not quite sure why it did, but it did. Um, and uh, I had to kind of get me kind of had to get me dialed back in. I have a buddy, and I want to give him a plug because he's he's an awesome dude. Um, he lives in my hometown. His name's Ryan Clapper. He owns Clapper's Archery Supply. Um, and that's kind of the guy I go to to kind of take care of my bow needs. Um, he always does me a solid and hooks me up, man. And every time I leave his place, my bow shoots better than it did, you know, than it had, than it did prior to going there. And, and it seems like it shoots better than it did even prior to, or than since the last time I went there. Um, nice. he just spends the time with me and kind of dials me in and kind of checks everything out for me. He takes a look at my form. Um, he used to shoot for, for Hoyt. Um, he knows what he's doing. Um, you know, so anyone back home or within the kind of Bedford County area, I would go ahead and check him out if you need a, a bow tune up and, and, uh, you know, if you're interested in getting a new bow or get hooked up with some, some accessories and stuff, or just need a tune up, man, that's the guy to, uh, that's the guy to go to. That's the guy I kind of trust here, here locally. Um, you know, then the that's other the aspect of that, what's that? It's the guy. It's the, it's the guy, man. Yeah. It's the guy. Yeah. It's the guy. Uh, the uh the the other thing you know that I'm doing is I kind of briefly mentioned there was just extending my my range which is what I've been working on basically since whitetail season ended was just trying to shoot enough to where I'm comfortable my goal is to get comfortable out to 60 yards um and then as of probably 2 weeks I wouldn't go as far as to say that I'm comfortable out to 100% comfortable out to 60 it's like I'm comfortable out to 50 now um without a doubt mm-hmm. right um uh, 60 yards, it's still, you know, I shoot well at 60 yards, but I wouldn't go as far as to say that I'm comfortable. You know, it's, um, you know, I guess put it this way. It's like if I'm shooting at an elk at 60 yards, like with how I'm shooting right now, I'm killing it. Um, but, you know, I, that's not my, my goal is not to just be good enough. Um, my goal is to, you know, before I leave, whenever I'm on the range is to be dialed in. And for me to be dialed in means I'm, my groups are tight. Um, right. So, right. Um, so I'm working on that still, which is, you know, it's the type of work I like to do. Then the, you know, the beast side of it is, is the physical preparation that I'm kind of doing to get ready to go. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of cardio work that I'm doing. It's a lot of working out with a weighted vest on running three miles with a 20 pound vest. I did a five mile hike of, you know, of an incline this past weekend that was, um, climbing 2,500 feet you know, with a 30 pound pack on and I'll continue to kind of increase the weight hiking as I go. Um, that was the first like elevation hike that I was doing where I was actually outside, you know, climbing with weight on. So I didn't yeah. want to go too heavy cause I didn't want to of course hurt myself. I have a bad habit of overdoing it and hurting myself <laughs> and then I got having it. to kind of chill the work. <laughs> yeah. 
having to chill the workouts, you know, it kind of works in reverse on me. So, you know, I went moderate to where I wanted some resistance to see how I, I could do. And it was, it was a good hike, you know, it was, it wasn't anything, anything crazy. It was, it was a nice kind of test to see where I'm at. And I wasn't, it didn't fatigue me necessarily. I was good to go. Um, you know, so I'll continue to kind of keep working on the physical aspect to make sure I can hang when I get to, uh, get to the mountains. I'd say the only parts that I'm really worried about, man, of going to Montana is just elevation sickness, like mountain sickness. I just don't want to, I just don't want that to happen. I want, you know, we're not going to have a whole lot of time to acclimate when we get there. So I just have to be mindful of how much I'm pushing myself like the first day or two that I'm there to let my body acclimate to the elevation. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, but that's, uh, other than that, practicing my elk calling, which my, my wife loves. Um, you should take that to work. What's that? You should take that to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because that. Would and that's how, that's how that's how you start meetings. Yeah, dude, it would definitely get everybody's attention. You know, it's it's uh, for sure. Eagleson actually does elk calling at work. Um, nice. Yeah. So, but he's also kind of crazy. Um, without well, without a yeah. doubt, <laughs> goes without saying. Well, yeah, I mean he's yeah. right. His, his, he's a friend of mine, yeah. so it's like what, it's, yeah. he's, he's got that. It's all, we're all, we're them. all in the same we're on the same group here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But with that, man, I think we've kept uh, kept the folks at home here listening for a little bit more than a, than an hour, and I think we've kind of gone through everything that we're that we've been thinking about and that we're planning to do, and our hopes, our dreams, and our aspirations. <laughs> Uh, well, if that were the case, there wouldn't be enough uh, time in the day to get through all that. I know, right? I know. Is there a, but is there anything that we've left out before we get going from your perspective? Anything you want to, uh, anything you want to add? No, man, I think, I think we covered it. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely great. Uh, you know, I've been on a bit of hiatus with, uh, the kid and everything. So it's great to be back and and doing this again and talking about, uh, talking about this stuff. It's exciting, uh, kind of gets the blood going and I'm definitely pumped for this next season coming up. Yeah. I'm going to, I know, I know you are as well. Yeah. I was just, I was just telling someone the other day, I was like, I was like, I did a good job this year of like not getting completely pumped up like, you know, in February. You know, I was like, I managed to, I managed to hold it off for like a few weeks. It wasn't until, uh, I think it was March. I was having a conversation with somebody and we started talking about deer hunting and then it just, Oh, you know who it was? Eagleson called me. He called me one night to talk about (laughs) elk hunting. Yeah. And like, I was just pumped up. Like I, we talked for like an hour and a half. It was like, we were like two high school girls that went away to camp for the summer and didn't see each other all summer. It was horrible. I'm kind of even embarrassed a little bit to admit it. But uh, yeah, I'd but probably we on the be phone. embarrassed too. <laughs> yeah, well, man, I'm embarrassed about a lot of things. Like that might be the least of the embarrassment <laughs> in my <Yeesh>. world. <laughs> um, different, different topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This is PG. This is we, we'd yeah. like to keep that clean rating on the old iTunes if we could. Um, but with that, before we completely run amok here, we should probably go ahead and let the good folks at home go. So with uh, with that, I think we'll go ahead and uh, and sign off. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I want to thank all of you for tuning in and giving me an hour plus of your day to talk deer hunting. I'm truly humbled by the number of people that have been downloading this podcast and can't thank all of you enough. And with that said, if you'd like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher. You can, of course, hear us on uh, Google Play as well. Also, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star iTunes rating. We'd be very much appreciative of your review. And if you'd like us to answer any of your questions on a future podcast, 
podcast or you'd like to rend- re- recommend a topic for a future podcast, you can email those to truthfromthestand at gmail.com or click the email button on our Instagram account. And finally, I need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Whitetail Institute of North America, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. And until next time, we'll see y'all. <laughs> All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.